0: Thank you for listening to Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. This is Episode 61, Act 1, Caitlin McCain, Finding Paths for Freedom Dreaming, recorded March 26, 2023.
1: Let's start it up now.
0: Hey, hey, TA Podians. Welcome to Teaching Irish Podcast. This podcast is researched, recorded, and produced on the unceded lands, water, and air, stewarded by the Canarsie and Munsee Lenape peoples in what is colonially known as Brooklyn, New York. Thanks so much for listening and thanks for being a part of our global community. Invite your peeps, colleagues, and friends to join the conversation and subscribe on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any podcast player. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Teaching Podcast, and then head over to TeachingIrishy.org to access episodes, guest bios, our video series, merch, and more. Let's get right to our guest. Caitlin McCain, who I have gotten to know a little bit over the last few months, working in partnership between the podcast and New York City Children's Theater to highlight their Start the Conversation resources. And we're going to learn a lot more about those in May. Uh, Things that I've noticed, Caitlin is quite kind. She's very um, professional, intentional, caring, relatable, um, you just want to like spend time with her. She's just really a delight, frankly. And um, it was recently announced that Caitlin is receiving the, the 2023 TYA USA Community Impact Award in relation to the resources that I was just referring to. Um, so that's, so, you know, congratulations. Very exciting. And uh, in this act, we learn about Caitlin's upbringing in California and her family and attending NYU Tisch undergrad and how she found applied theater and emerging into the teaching and arts education field. Here is episode 61, act one, Caitlin McCain, Finding Paths for Freedom Dreaming. Hello, Caitlin.
2: (laughs) Hello. Hello.
0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to Teaching RSU Podcast. As you might know, this is a podcast that celebrates artists, culture, and equity. Uh, Have I said this already? Maybe. Maybe I did already. (laughs) Deja vu. That I'm excited to learn more about you and your journey in arts and arts education. Um, So let's start with that foundational question. How are you? How are you doing? How are your loved ones doing? What is going on?
2: Yes. Today I am doing good. Um, I have started thinking about when someone asks me, you know, how am I doing? I'm trying to be really present right now. Um, like that's my, my personal practice. Um, so right now today I'm doing good. The sun is shining. I got good sleep last night. Um, I'm excited to be here talking with you. So yeah, it's good. Um, my loved ones are good. Uh, I live with my amazing partner. She's out having coffee right now. So that always makes me happy, you know, when she's like engaging with community and, um, meeting with friends and, uh, and my mom, and my sister, I like when you say loved ones, like that's who else. I just talked to my mom before this. She's doing good. She had some, um, dental work done. So her, so she was, her face is <laughs> right now. So that's what we were talking about. Other than that, she's good. Um, my younger sister is turning 21 this week. So we were talking about that. It's a it's a big deal. She is
1: big deal
2: hype over it. Uh it's for the last like six months, all of our conversations have been about her 21st birthday. So that's uh that's what we were talking about today. So yeah.
0: Is there is yeah. there like a hot celebration happening?
2: So yeah, they're going to a casino. So my mom and sister are in California and they're they're at home. And so I unfortunately cannot be there but they're coming to New York in May so we're gonna have a an all-out she'd like to go to a club so I, <laughs> I'm i gonna go to the club
0: Are are you a club going prison oh no
2: no no I haven't been to a club since my 21st birthday so <laughs> so but for her for my sister I will do it
0: yeah that's good that's nice of you <laughs> Um, well, that's nice to hear. So I hear you from the, I see it. I hear it now. You're from the West coast. You, uh, b- born and raised in California.
2: Yeah. yeah. Yep. Southern California.
0: And what made you move to New York?
2: The theater. <laughs> so what brought me to New York? Um, so like everybody else who wants to do theater, uh, I wanted to go to NYU. um so I did the whole thing and auditioned and got in and my dreams came true like in all seriousness um my dreams came true and that's what brought me to New York and then I stayed
0: and then you say and um uh, which school were you in it so you went to Tisch
2: I was at Adler Uh, yeah I Mm -hmm. I did all four years uh yeah I still have deep ties to Adler I teach there now so they they got me <laughs> Uh
0: so I worked at Stadler, Stella Adler
2: I did not know this
0: I worked there for um le- it was less than a year um I did a I, I by way of being a, a lightboard op <laughs> on a oh, show a long time ago and that or yeah I mean long before that but then I sort of the what's his name Tom Oppenheim he was in the show and I guess I stayed in contact with him I don't know anyway I in a roundabout way I found myself back in New York and um, I maybe reached out was like if you can think of anything I'd love to do something and they were doing a one-act festival and needed an assistant director so I started I started in that role uh, so stage manager slash assistant director and then um, and then the receptionist or the assistant, somebody broke their arm, and I, I, I was like, I, I literally had like one other job. I wasn't doing anything because <laughs> I was waiting to go back to work uh, for the summer at Stage Door Manor. So, and I was living at home, so I really was just like doing whatever. Um, and I, I had always dreamed, um, of of going to Stella actually because I had been, um, when I first graduated from college I started taking acting classes um from somebody who studied with Stella and then more was more um on the Uta Hagen kick but I just felt like st- there was something about Stella that made sense to me um and I, I was fascinated by anybody who was in a conservatory because I had just gotten out of a four-year liberal college you know so yeah. it like that concept was very funny to me Anyway, it was it was a good it was a good ride. So I went from being receptionist to uh, uh, his assistant for like a, a temporary assistant for a while, and then I almost got like a full time job there, but I decided to go back to Atlanta instead. Which sliding doors? Who knows what would have happened? Um. Okay. So we'll learn more about that. I'm excited. Um. And so so, uh, <laughs> can I just tell you that I was watching I was watching an old probably an old TikTok on on instagram recently where this person was like um i think i count can i count as a as a as a a, a, a true new yorker somebody's moved here even though i haven't been here for seven years and one of the things that they were just listing off these things and one of them was like i've never liked anybody who's gone to nyu undergrad ever <laughs> oh,
2: that's God. a very fair <laughs> it's I wish that the the reputation wasn't true but come on we're annoying (laughs) I don't blame y'all
0: I mean I know quite a few people who went there undergrad I like them it's fine I also I also teach at NYU so um I have a bit of a soft spot for it okay 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 so where do you work what's your role where uh what do you do in this field
2: what do I do in this field i my I love that this is a teaching artist podcast because I don't because whenever people ask me this question, I'm like, oh, God, OK, well, which job am I going to say I have? I love it because teaching artists understand that like you have four different jobs at almost all times. <laughs> um, so, I mean, primarily I'm a teaching artist um, and I work mostly with young people uh, in like pre-K, really little up through fifth grade is usually because I work with New York City Children's Theater and I'm the um, education associate for public engagement there. So um, which we'll talk more about, but uh yeah, so doing programming for like the very young has been my thing with them. And then also um we they stop at fifth grade is like their top. So that's like mostly where I am with them. Um but like I mentioned, like with Adler, I used to do uh work with youth and teens um in New York City. And then I also am doing work with as a teaching artist and like educator support. So working with other arts educators um, in actually different parts of the world now um, to integrate like student-centered drama education and trauma-informed approaches. Um, And then in the like acting world, the Stella world, I uh, teach voice and speech. Mm. Um, So those are like my areas, like educator support, um, professional conservatory training and acting training and then um, my, where my heart lies with working with um, very young people.
0: So yeah, I've uh, been meaning to ask or I wonder about public engagement. What is that? Like we have, we have titles like that at at New Victory and I know what it means there. So I'm just curious, what does public engagement mean in, in this role, in this context?
2: Well, it's very much growing. So this is the first time that this position has existed um that so i kind of went on a interesting journey with my time at new york city children's theater of like i started as an apprentice um in the education department and then i was hired as a gala associate <laughs> like a gala assistant <laughs> for their gala of doing like admin um stuff pandemic happened obviously gala didn't happen anymore and they kept me on to finish my contract, and during this time is when I started creating um, with my colleague Nicole Hogsett. Um, we started creating programs for families at home during the during that time. So I started developing these programs, and then they brought me on, and I was in artistic for a bit as an artistic associate, and then this year I've finally landed back in education, and I'm starting to. Um, I guess, grow roots for public engagement, like, um, anything with community centers, libraries. Um, I have a dream of expanding to parks, um, working with, um, if there's like sometimes schools, uh, but if it's like their PTA or parent section that like want to bring things that are engaging family communities. So it's very much growing, but it's anything that's outside of that traditional, like, school, residency, um, yeah.
0: Okay, got it. Okay, this is, it's fairly similar um, for us. I mean, we're a theater for kids and families, and so the kids part is um, schools and adults are the teachers, so that's, like, the community, and that's what I tend to focus on. And then my um, my colleague-slash-work wife uh, focuses on, public. in her title, it's public engagement, and then she's got a few... So there's two threads, there's youth engagement and um, family engagement. And so people have different slashes <laughs> uh, yeah. um, behind theirs to, to their title, um, according to which audience type they, or participant type they're working with. Um, but she oversees all of it, so she's got that. And the, the family component um, very often includes um, not just in the theater um, or at home, but community-based, um, partnerships throughout the city. So, um, that's, that's good to know. Um, okay, so let's, 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 I'm trying to figure out actually what the connector is between your three that you just named. So you moved to New York when you were going to college, right? Had you been here before?
2: (laughs) No, I, well, I had been to New York one other time, I didn't travel much uh, when I was younger. So I'd like been to all of three states. <laughs> um, and we, the only other time I'd been to New York was for my audition for NYU actually. like As a family, we scraped together money to fly out here because I wanted to apply early decision. Um, I think through this conversation, you'll learn I'm a very determined <laughs> young person. Um, and so I was like, I'm going and we're applying early decision. So we scraped together Money to come out here, and we were here for two days. Uh, two days, <laughs> I did my audition, and we stayed in a hotel, and we left. Um, and then I moved here, and that was it.
0: And then, what was the connection to education?
2: So, of course, I came here thinking, like, I'm going to be an actor, I'm going to be on Broadway. And originally, I was doing musical theater. Um, but my mom has owned a daycare and operated it out of our home, like licensed official, like part of our home was a daycare um for my whole life, uh basically, since I was like four or five. Um, so working with children was always, it was just life. That was just super normal. Um, and my younger sister, uh Chloe, who I was talking about, is turning 21, um, she also has Down syndrome. And so there was like community engagement in that way of like working in the disabled community. Um, and that being a real part of my life and, and none of it would I have ever qualified. Like I didn't have the language of like applied theater or theater education or anything like that, but between like those two things and then the arts world, I had found different ways, like through summer camps, like I was at, I was doing summer stock somewhere in college and I was put part of the contract, you know, because, you're there to do work for them. Part of the contract was you're also going to like be a counselor at our summer camp. we were like, oh, okay. And I ended up like organizing stuff that I later came to find out was applied theater. And in high school, I had um, collaborated with the special education department to create, it was called stage friends and folks from the special education department would come into the theater and we would do Uh, like theater games and activities and create together and so I was doing all of that like since high school not really knowing what it was called Um, and then my senior year at NYU I applied to the apprenticeship at New York City Children's Theater um, and worked with Sarah Margulis um, and Alex Delaire and like they were the folks who introduced me to this formalized like theater education applied theater world and I was like oh my god there's a name for all this stuff and I had no idea and it was like they opened this whole world and I i had always known that there was like a part in my brain that was like I really like teaching um that had been like a long time thing and I always gravitated towards that like creating things and doing that but I was like no but I'm going to be an actor I'm going to be an actor um and it took having that like formalized, like applied theater language to know that like, oh, it's not either or it's and, and both and all together. And that's what led me into where I am now.
0: I always enjoy um, when that uh, there's that realization of like, oh, this is what teaching artist work is. This is what this is. I've been doing that since X, you know, and you don't realize it. So then you go back and you start like (laughs) recatalog all your past experience. Um, So both my parents were in education. Um, in some way, my mom sort of moved on past, she was a librarian and she started in, and prior to her getting her master's in library science, she was the AV coordinator at the local, um, one of the local middle schools and for years. And then when she finished, um, her schooling, she then got a job working, um, at a school at a a different elementary school, I think in, uh, in another part of town or another part of Long Island, um. And she did that for about a year and hated it and like was surprised because she loved, you know, she loved working at our local like volunteering at our local library and enjoyed working in the in various sections, including the children's section. But she was just like, this is not for me. Um, And I I thought that was fascinating because my dad was also a, a math teacher in high school. And like the reason why they moved to New York was for him to be. So she had been in that that education world for a really long time, and then for her to have that transition and that revelation rele- or revelatory moment, like I think she I think she surprised herself, yeah. and she ended up getting a job in in more in the corporate world, and ultimately actually her last position was at Marymount College, and she loved she loved that. You know, working with young adults was the right place for her (laughs) and working in like a real, like, you know, not real library, but a a library that was of that university level, I think really sort of resonated with her. Anyway, so I just think that, you know, for me, I was always just sort of surrounded by educators, but I never thought of myself in that way, ever, 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 ever. Like I was the same where I was like, I think I want to, I think I want to be in theater I'm not really sure exactly what I know. I like to perform. I know I like to act. I can sing, but I never really was like formally trained in any particular way. And when I went to college, I was, a, I didn't feel like there was, I didn't think I had enough experience to be a theater major. So I was like, I'll just audition and like live through that world. Um, but I'll be a communications major. Cause I thought I'd get into television and film and media, um, and maybe be like a journalist or something. And, um, once I was there I was like, uh I, I got into theater and I was like, Oh my god, this is everything. Why am I doing communications? Yeah. <laughs> Changed my major. Um, and and never look back. But then when I graduated, like I said, I started working with an acting coach because I didn't feel like I had that sort of conservatory foundation. Uh, method like an actual method on which to do this work but I had a lot of pr- experience but what I liked about that program still really appreciated about that program was that it was a it was theater art so I, we had to learn every aspect of theater um, and we had to play the, the different roles so if you were not cast in a particular production you were you were expected to do something for that so I gained a whole a whole bunch of skills and then everybody sort of fell into their own like Place where they they really were good at it or, or enjoyed it or something, and for me that was lights, and lighting design and directing, and in addition to acting, and um, so I feel like a lot of that just plays out, <laughs> in so much yeah. of what I do now, but um, but the te- but the teaching part, like I had been doing things, but the place where I where that like m- that light bulb moment have for, happened for me, where I was like I want to learn those skills, was when I was working at that theater camp, I was not a, I was, I was not a counselor. I was a group leader. So my whole role was to make sure that the kids just got to be kids and had a great time while they were with us. And I had a staff of counselors and those counselors uh, tripled. (laughs) They were counselors. It was not okay. It's, I don't, I, it's a smart setup, but it, you know, I, I, excuse me, I might relook at this model, but they were counselors for the kids then they also taught classes during the day and then they were the uh s- like stage managers for the shows
2: oh wow that's yeah so it was a I lot really of
0: work for them,
2: for them. sounds um, like a summer theater camp
0: yeah i was just it was that's exactly what it was but and you know and i just come out of like i didn't know i didn't know any better and i was just having a good time frankly but my uh what i liked about that was i i you know i could walk around the grounds during class time and then I'm like wait I'm like watching people do improv out in you know this field or this and I'm like how did you like where did you learn to teach this like I get I get what this is but like how did you learn this and most of them were from Europe right or the UK so they were like this is just how we do things there and I'm like oh interesting so I had already known about educational theater as a program but I didn't understand what it was until like got there which was another like 6 years later. Anyway, I'm I'm just saying I'm connecting um yeah. but that moment of like teaching and teaching in little like early childhood like that's where I sort of got the basis of understanding how to teach by working with preschool teachers <laughs> at daycare centers and then when I was trying to figure out like what do I want to go to to grad school for I I really was like I think it's not straight up education. Like I do enjoy working here, but I did a summer camp. I organized a whole like summer camp and I was like, Oh, this is it. I don't really, I like lesson plans, but I like them with themes and I I don't want to do it with standards. No, I want to do like fun stuff and like growing in a different kind of, in an artistic way, but I don't have the skills yet. So that's when I knew I was like, it's time, it's time. So did you, did you go to grad school?
2: So yeah, I'm finishing grad school right now. I'm in my last two months. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I'm at um, CUNY at uh, School of Professional Studies in their MA in Applied Theater program, Mm.
0: Um,
2: which exactly what you were talking about of like, I, I had my act kind of in a different way. I had my acting background Um, and I, I got to a point where I was like, I know this is what I want to do. Like, I want to teach through theater and I want to like, like you, exactly what you're saying. Like, I want to learn and grow in this like artistic human way, but I don't have the skills yet. You know, like I have, like, I've, like I said, I've always like been a teacher, you know, like even as a kid, I would like play teacher or I would like go, I had a second grade teacher who would let me go into other like first and second grade classrooms and tutor. Yeah, because yeah. I was done with my work, you know. Like right? it was, so it was always something. But I was like, I don't have the formal tools, and methodology, and pedagogy behind this work, and I knew it because I saw other people who did.
0: I didn't even so, have the language of pedag- pedagogy. What's that?
2: Right, exactly. I was like, I I know there's a something here, and the MA program um, offered that to me, mm. and has been um, has been incredible yeah
0: yeah just to just to um break down that they're they're basically like f- i think in theater i think there are f- four sort of major places to is it four or maybe three um because i feel like hunter has one too there's city college there's the ma applied theater um the city College's uh theater education um, then there's the one Hunter also theater education, but they also have dance education, I believe and music education. So they have a bunch. Columbia has something, but I think it's only at the graduate level, um, um, out of teachers college. And then I guess it's five. And then NYU, which was the first and that, that program, um, all of those programs, I don't know about the Hunter one, but the CUNY, C- C- uh, C- city, uh, sorry, city college, MA applied theater, they all have some sort of connection to the nyu program just either they were like cat creative arts team started there and it was born out of folks who went through that program and then created created, creative creative arts team or cat and then they started this program um at the graduate center and then um city college was started by um somebody who went through that program too jennifer katona who's been I think it's been on this uh, podcast before and now is run by Shoba Avenue Kudiel, who's like um, just rocking it. And she's actually bringing like new, like new f- aspects of that work and um, even more collaboration between that program and like department of education programs um, or school of education. And then uh, I, yeah, I just don't know anybody at Hunter though.
2: I met a few folks and it sounds like a great program. Um,
0: but what I, I think what's nice is that there, you know, there, the, to understand that there is a formalized, like there's formal pedagogy theory praxis. It's not just fun and games It's not only yeah. improv, which are uh, highly important kinds of, of concepts and, and things to practice on any level. Um, and building all sorts of skill sets that are applicable and transferable to beyond the theater world um, is, is something that, you know, I just feel like because it's the arts and because arts have some sort of silly connotation for people that doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever, that they, they seem a little bit like far fetched, where you wouldn't know about it. It's not a common thing to know when you're in high school, but once you, once you find it and it's, and you realize it's for you, it's like, this is everything. (laughs) This is everything. I wish everybody.
2: Well, and even when I was at NYU, NYU now at Tisch has an applied theater minor. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the time they didn't Applied theater was not something they offered. Um, And so I'm like looking back, it it literally, it it came in um, Mauricio, who was on, on the um, podcast. Like he came in the year after I graduated and I was like, where were you? When I was in school, um, but I get to collaborate with him now and, and it's really exciting, but I wish that I had known that it was a, a formalized path. And also like, like every program you named is all in New York city.
0: Okay. So let's go back way back to California. Yeah. <laughs> you, you talked a little bit about being a very determined kid, but uh, let's talk more about where you grew up um, and how you were engaging in arts as a kid.
2: Yeah. So I grew up in Riverside, California. Um, It's a great place to grow up because it's like an hour from the beach, an hour from LA, an hour from Disneyland, an hour from the mountains. You know, it's a great (laughs) prime Southern California, but it is like in the desert. So it's very hot, (laughs) Um, um, but it's like any other suburb, but, you know, in America, um, pretty nondescript, I guess. Yeah, so I grew up there, and theater, so I, like, I had always done, like, performance stuff, like, I danced for a little while, it was never really my thing, I played violin for a little while, it wasn't really my thing, Uh, and then in, I think it was sixth grade, there was a children's theater, and I really wanted to do it, and so I was going to audition, and at the time I was taking dance lessons and I remember I was thinking about this last night and I was like, who was I? I, who, or who did I think I was? I, I said to my dance teacher, I was like, so I'm in to audition for a musical and they were doing high school musical too. <laughs>
0: um,
2: I was like, I'm going audition for a musical. And like, if I get in, then I'm going to do that. And I'm not going to do dance anymore. <laughs> like I was like explaining my plan of like, So I think this is my thing, but if I don't get in, then I'll stay. But if I I was like, you know, where, where, what was my brain doing? But I got in and then I was with this, that was like my formal introduction to theater, but I had been introduced to theater by my grandma. um, And she would play like Phantom of the Opera for me and cats and a course, line. course, line was my favorite. Mm -hmm. Why was I a six, seven year old watching a course line? I don't know, but you know what? I'm here now <laughs> um so yeah so she introduced me to like Broadway and and the musicals and she would like take me to the Nutcracker.
0: God, I hope I get it. yeah
2: I hope I get it. that that was my theme song and then <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, oh, the numbers from a chorus line that I did throughout high school <laughs> you can See it, it's hilarious everyone has the stories right um but yeah, so that's how and I did children's theater there um and it's I was lucky because there was a decent amount of theater in Riverside um, and there were community theaters that I I did and uh, the community college there has a pretty robust theater program. Um, so like there was folks in the community. It's very small. Like that's the thing about California theater is that it's very, I mean, New York too, but in a, I think in a different way, like it's very clicky, even in like youth theater spaces and very small. So um, like once you're in it, you like everyone knows everyone. Very similar to here, but kind of in an even smaller way. Um, but yeah, then I knew I I wanted to really do the theater thing. So I said, New York, here I come.
0: <laughs> and did you do a lot of theater in high school?
2: Yeah, my high school theater was like crucial for me. I had the best high school theater teacher. Shout out to Mr. Mark Morris. He's still teaching, uh, and He created this environment, and I think, too, this is also what got me, like, looking back, it's a connection that I make to, like, how I got into theater education. He made this environment where the students were centered, and that was something new that I hadn't experienced before. It was, like, it was not a theater teacher who was, like, I'm the best actor. I'm the best theater person. I'm going to teach you it was, we're going to do theater together. We're going to create, like he gave students opportunities to direct and to create and to choose projects and create projects. And he, I always say, Mr. Mark Morris, let me do things. If I had an idea, he said, yes. Um, And that was huge. So I was very involved in, in like the, there was like the theater club that was connected to the theater. So I was like vice president and president and I like to make things, which is, um, which I still do. And it's because of people like Mr. Mark Morris, like he let me do things. Um, and that was, yeah. He let me put on cabarets and he let me production manage something when that wasn't even a thing I knew existed. I would just, I was like, I'm going to like come in and help. And he was like, okay. And then he was like, you're production managing. And I was like, Oh, I didn't know that was a thing. Um, Yeah, so we need more theater teachers like him.
0: You jogged a memory of mine when you were talking earlier about uh, something about you going to like the the first and second grade classes to help. Mm -hmm. I in sixth I think it was sixth grade, I don't remember how or why, but I would go into the kindergarten room and read. Uh, and somehow I had parlayed that into they need me for the, for the morning. I, so I would like get out of class. <laughs> uh, and then I'd get picked up on the way to, to lunch. I, that didn't last long, but I, I forget why I was just, but I, I wasn't not working. Like I was in the classroom yeah. working and like helping but I was only supposed to be there for maybe an hour and I was there for like at least two and a half hours for like a good chunk of my sixth grade and then I ended up getting some sort of certificate or award for it even though it was like you you have to you can't do that you need to be in class it's like
2: you need to learn yourself too but also didn't you learn more
0: I really did I really did and I'm sure I was very helpful and I, I probably love just like hanging out with those little kids. Cause I still like, I, it was exactly the same where I remember being told I was like a paraprofessional at one point. Oh, well I was working at still Adler there. Actually I was a paraprofessional at a local uh, elementary school. And at some point during recess, I think it was recess. Uh, there's so many weird moments with kids. Kids are so weird. I love them. And oh one God. was like, are you sure you're a teacher? And I was like, what? Why? Yes. Why? Why? <laughs> like we, mm, you seem too nice to be a teacher. And I was like, "No, that's not okay. Come on. There's got to be nice adults in the, in this school, right? But no. Not during recess at least. They they were right. a little rough and I didn't get the whistle. I wasn't allowed to get a whistle, and I was like, I wouldn't even use it if you gave it to me anyway, but
2: Thinking back, why do you need a whistle? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: But yeah, I just like I just remember always just being that adult. Where I, I remember working with another teacher who was like, "They're never gonna be afraid of you," and I was like, "What are you talking about? I don't need a three-year-old to be afraid of me. Are you kidding? Are you kidding right now?"
2: That's exactly what pops in my head when you were saying that. Of like, even I have that same thing with young people now. Of like, they're like, "Oh, they don't treat." They're like, "You're a teacher," and they'll always ask. They're like, "How old are you?" Like that is a question I get very often. Not just because I guess I look young-ish, but like I, I look like an adult now, you know, I'm past that, that point where I don't look like an adult. And I think it's because they're like, yeah, you don't treat me like other teachers do. And I'm like, why is that the norm?
0: I feel like I've had a lot of real, I talk a lot about a particular teacher that I did not like, but I, I I feel like I've had a lot of really strong like, teachers who were had that, that balance of... I have I have expectations for you, but I also believe in you and I'm I'm okay with you taking the process you need. Miss Ilberg, second grade, still lives in in, in uh, where does she live now? Glenhead. Um and one of my one of my high school buddies was like, Oh yeah, I see her all the time. I was like, Can you please tell her I say hello? Uh, Fourth grade, Miss Jordan also like friends with us on Facebook, and will comment on everything that I do. Miss Jordan um, tried to push me into a push. I mean, thought I was like ready to move up a a level or two into in reading, and I was like, "This is hard. (laughs) I don't want. Can I go back?" And she was like, "What, Courtney? You can do this." I was like, "Mm, "I was good over there." over there. Um and then Miss Bongiorno also I was a little I was a little I was having some trouble in 5th grade and she she saw again she was sort of she's a little bit more stern. But I did I I had auditioned for uh a local play at like the local uh theater like community theater which I I didn't know a lot about. But, um, uh, apparently I was the only kid from my school that went to audition. And I, I I talk about like determined, like they made an announcement on the thing. I was like, I'm going, uh, and then I waited for my mom to come home. I was like, you need to take me. And then she was like, I, uh, we, but my dad wasn't back with the car. So we took the bus and we went and I auditioned and I got in and then there was one rehearsal and then they canceled it because they didn't have the rights that's that so that's the that's the story I normally tell but the piece that was actually really cool in terms of a teacher like seeing me was like uh one was really impressed that I had the ingenuity to figure out how to get there Two told me that I was the only person from our school that actually went to to audition, and I was like, "Oh!" And so there was these two teachers who, like Miss Jordan, who saw who like fourth grade, who was like, "You can do it," and I was like, "I'm okay." And Miss Barnjono, who had seen me sort of do a bit of a backslide, was like, "But look what happens when you actually want to do something. Like you could apply that to everything that you do, Court." And it's like, "Oh, yeah." So learnings. <laughs> yeah. yeah Yeah.
2: and how important teachers are that makes me think of um I had a third grade teacher I think her name was Mrs. Robinson and my mom and dad tell this story they went to a parent teacher conference and she was like yeah so Caitlin's a good student and but like she's getting B's right now and like this is the moment she can decide if she's going to be an A student or a B student and like essentially like posing that as like either are, are valid, but like she can choose. And my parents then came back to me and like, that's the thing is like teachers and then parents, like if you've got the both and like, they came, my parents came to me and they're like, you, what do you want to do here, Caitlin? You know, are you going to choose? And, and I very much chalk that up to my dad and, you know, he was that person too, of like trusting and then also believing and expecting that higher, that higher, that Step above because he knew that I was capable of it, and he—he wasn't a formal educator, but he was a teacher in his own way. Um, He was a a fitness professional, so he was a trainer and, you know, like coach energy (laughs) and like through every part of my life. And I think that also influenced that of like trusting and believing, and then having someone who was a teacher by nature. And I saw it in spaces that we're not necessarily always formalized education, but like there's like life teaching that happens and teaching through the body. And that's so much like theater. It's like funny how all of those things come together. That's
0: the first time I've heard you talk about your father.
2: Yeah, no, I love my dad. My dad passed in 2018 and my best friend, very close. Um, and yeah, he is a huge part of, of where I have I have gotten how I've gotten here like it I got to go to school for theater because him and my mom believed that that was a topic actually thought I don't think that like theater was viable but they knew that I would make it viable if that makes sense like they never doubted yeah so that was that is how my dad raised me and it was like you're gonna if you're gonna do it you're gonna do it (laughs) you know there's no
0: yeah, I'm. I'm sorry. I'm. I'm. I'm giggling only because that's literally what my, what my dad said when I changed my yeah. major. Um. So. Uh. Yeah. My dad passed in two thousand eight, and um, I, I don't know if I would call him my best friend, but he was a huge influence in my life. Um, and definitely like su- super close, super duper close. I would say my mom was my best friend, but me and my mom, we're tight. We yeah, like yeah, and I think isn't that wonderful to have parents like to feel that much love. And be like brought up in like a ridiculously loving environment, even when the, it's flawed. Um, but the thing about my dad was he he paid for everything, <laughs> so so like if you didn't like something, you weren't gonna get it unless uh, you could figure out how to pay for it yourself, right? And and you there was a lot of like I'm gonna I'm gonna present the argument and get you to to and advocate for myself and to get you to say yes. Basically, it was everything was like I, I should become a lawyer because this is how. I get things done and I get you yeah. to say yes. <laughs> um, but with my, with my parents in terms of schooling, I was definitely up and down in terms of like effort grades, like some things that were effortless, perfect. Anything that had anything to do with work was just that I wasn't there. And I, ha- I actually had a teacher in in a, I think I was a junior and I had been, it was social studies. His name was Mr. Silverstein. And he was like, uh, I know you, I know you have more in there. And at one point I had gotten like a 94 or something on a, on a test and he was, and he handed it to me. I looked at it. I was like, Oh look. And he's like, I get it. I get it. You're waiting. You're saving yourself for college. Right. I was like, "What are you talking about?" And he's like, <laughs> he's like, "I get it. No, that's fine. Just save yourself for college." I was like, "I literally don't understand what you're saying." And he's like, "No, I see. You're putting you're waiting to put the effort in when you get to college." And not for nothing, he was actually right <laughs> because I like the higher I got in my education, the better my grades got and my effort grew or deepened, either way. Yeah. Um, but in terms of like the theater thing, like I, I wasn't sure where I was getting the message that I couldn't be a theater major, But it just felt like that like there was nobody in my life who who was in theater, right? So it was like, that's clearly not a thing. Um, and then when I made that decision and I talked to him, I had all the arguments. I had even gone so far to see if I could do a major as a and Spani- in Spanish because I thought, Somehow he would be like, "Oh, okay. Well, you can have something that'll fall back on, right?" And then, um, when I sort of said it, I I said, "Okay, this is this is what I want to do." And he's like, "Ah, fine." I'd already done it, by the way. But then I just told him, and then he was like, "Okay, well, you, you have to promise that if you if you do this, that you use this degree and you work in theater." And and I at the time I was like, "Uh, yeah." hello you know but then i think when he saw that i went back for uh educational theater i think he was floored a b he was he was also confused because i wasn't going for the certification so he was like why you know why not get that so you have that to fall back on i was like no 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 first of all you paid for college thank you uh i'm i'm taking care Are you like i'm making this choice and i'm going to figure out how to make this work and I'm not, I'm not getting my masters to have something to fall back on. This is my future. And, and that was enough of an argument, right? I mean, it wasn't like I needed to convince him, but like, he was just like, I got it. And then when he started seeing me working at the new victory and, and, you know, I'd worked there for about four years before he passed, he would come and he would see show. He was so he was beaming with pride, beaming, you know, and it was, I was a perfect blend from him from, I think from his perspective around, um, you know, working with kids, theater, like all the things. And he said to me once, I think I was, I was in college. I was in Shakespeare, which he loved Shakespeare. I was in a Midsummer Night's Dream. And he's like, you know, when I knew, this was years later though. He's like, you know, when I knew that you were, you were like clearly an actress was when I forgot that you were, that it was you on stage watching you play Helena. He's like, you're very good, Courtney. And I was like, thanks dad. And they would come to everything that I saw, you know, that kind of support. It's so meaningful.
2: So meaningful. Yeah, my dad was at everything. Would not miss it. I mean, they flew to New York to see my shows. Luckily, my dad got to see most of my college stuff. Unfortunately, he passed before my my senior year, so he didn't get to see those final projects or my graduation. But it, I mean, at every vocal recitals, the high school theater, every, flying out to New York, you know, it was, yeah, that support is and I feel like he said something similar to me, the, that effect of like, oh, I forgot it was you. And like, cause he wasn't a theater person. Like, you, you know, that wasn't like his thing. He loved movies. He loved comic books, like stuff like that. And, you know, we loved Marvel movies um, together, but that he was so engaged because it, I cared about it, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. My dad took credit. You get, you get your theater, your love of theater from me. <laughs> <laughs> I like I'll take that yeah you're right because
2: that's that dad pride of like dad and daughter pride like <laughs> that yeah
0: exactly and then just in terms of pushing like he he was a, he was like a literal genius I'm not joking like highest IQ you know ridiculous even when I'm talking to like mediums that like if he comes through they're like they literally move back like this because that's how much whatever is happening it's it's and then and they're like is he was he a professor Oh, wow. Well, sort no, but um, yeah, I guess. I love that. I love that you're
2: in his psych to mediums too. I mean, we're very, we're very much my family. Okay. I'm just gonna tell one quick little story because it does connect to theater. So my mom had a, a reading recently um, and, and my dad came through and he was telling her about some, like, he was talking about me and he was talking about like some little forest He was like, I see like toadstools. The the medium was like, I see toadstools. He's like showing me like fairy grass. Like, and my mom was like, Oh, she she works with children. And like, and so my mom calls me the next day and she tells me this. And I was like, Oh my God, mom, I just filmed a project where that was the backdrop. It was like toadstools and fair, like it looked like a little and it was the grass, and that was like and she's like, "Oh my god, he was telling you that he's watching you do these things. The pro- he sees the projects I'm doing, he knows the work that I'm doing and that he's like, keep doing that." You know? I
0: I'm a big believer in all that all that all of that. I, oh, yeah. so and I do I mean I I have a whole thing where now I don't I haven't gone to a medium recently, but I've been doing Reiki. And in the midst of the pandemic. So I lost my mom right before the pandemic, like a few months before the pandemic happened and um you know, so I was already like pretty low, um, and grieving deep. And so anything that was happening for people, like I could, I could have empathy for people who were losing loved ones, but I also was like, I can deal with this because I can, I've dealt with like something far worse. Um, you know, like what, what I, what I was going through was not in comparison at all to losing her. Um, and the thing that helped me, was going to a reiki and she was doing long distance reiki which was amazing um and she would send like reports (laughs) so if you didn't talk directly there are different kinds of things but she would send reports and the first time i did it uh, you just basically like lay down quiet and she finds you i don't really understand but she finds you and then she like sends you an email like this is these are all the things that i saw and one of them was i see your parents holding you in golden light which is like what come on you, that's what I needed I needed to yeah. know that somebody's holding me <laughs> some, yeah. and that it's them that's th- that feels right um and and the sort of pride that they have is, is like all of that lives that definitely crosses over without a doubt without a doubt um so it's it's really it's really heartening to hear like the kind of support and to know like the determ- like the the way that one can express and say this is what I want to do and have a parent be like okay So, um, it sounds like in terms of like growing up there, you know, uh, where would you, where would you classify yourself like economically?
2: So we were always housed Mm -hmm. and fed. Sometimes that was more tricky than other times. Um, and so we, 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 we bounced between, um, a lower class and a middle, you know, but money was definitely always a concern. Um, Especially in the, like the times where I could create memories (laughs) when I was, you know, when I was a little younger, it was a little more stable, but both my parents were self-employed. My mom ran a daycare and my dad was a fitness trainer. So, you know, when economic crises happen, like those are the first things to go. Um, And so it was always kind of a little up and down.
0: Yeah, the reason why I was asking is um, that I, just because of when you said we scraped together money to get to New oh, York yeah. for my audition. and I feel like that from a from a, you know, there there's meaning in that. I think that part of, uh, where was my real question? my question is like, do did have you ever felt or did you ever feel pressure to not pursue your dream? I feel like there are quite a few people, especially people of color or people who are, you know, first generation um, and have their parents have immigrated here that they sometimes feel the pressure to not necessarily go into something like the arts or in teaching necessarily, because there's this expectation that I came here to give you, you know, more opportunities and the things that we know and know that, you know, you can jump into new economic stratospheres is, doctor, lawyer.
2: No, they always, everyone told me, you should be a lawyer, Caitlin. Cause I was, I was like very, I talked a lot. I was persuasive. I was determined, you know, they're like, be a lawyer. Um, no, I, I think that was the magic of my family and how I got here because I never thought about money. Not that like money wasn't a thing in our lives. Like, I knew we didn't have enough to do certain things and that that was a stress. And, you know, paying, I mean, paying for school, you know, that was not, that was, I think that was their only thing ever that was like, I don't know if you're going to be able to do this, Caitlin. It was the paying for NYU. And because we know NYU's prices, NYU, fix that if you're listening. <laughs> like, seriously. And they gave me a pretty a generous scholarship, but I think. That was the only time that money came up of like, as far as like around my dreams and my passions, because like I said, they were like, if you're going to do it, you're going to do it. And we know that you're going to make it work. And I, I didn't start thinking about money until really after I graduated. And like, and I think that's a deeper issue of like how. I think it's an issue of education of like, why aren't we educating our young people about finances and money and like, right, like it's all familial and it's based on your family habits. So I wasn't thinking about money. And I think in a lot of ways, that is what saved me from being caught in systems and capitalism and work and all of that and like be a lawyer, be a doctor, be a whatever choose, make, start making choices for the money because I didn't really start making choices for money until I had graduated undergrad. Not because I had money, you know, sitting in my bank account and being supported. I worked all, I had a job interview the day after we landed me moving here. Mm. Like that was, you know, that was never a, I nannied, I babysat, I, I, you know, worked. So it wasn't that money wasn't a thing but it was not a thing in decision-making and that was a gift and I'm even now like as an adult I'm struggling because I'm like oh my god I'm making choices for money because I have to but there's a part of me that's like you didn't get here and doing all the things that I love to do and being in theater by thinking about the money so it's like this weird like I don't know you know (laughs) It's like, I want to be free and I also have, want to be housed.
0: Yeah. So we were always housed. Um, I I can say that both my parents definitely like their, their upbringing was public housing or, you know, uh, I believe that my dad lived in a sharecropper home for a while, you know, like, um, but we, we always had something. Now I lived in a place where I could see money. So it was hard not to because there was such a wide spectrum of economic uh, income levels within my my hometown. Um, And so the the perception of understanding how one gets that (laughs) was not there. And I didn't have uh, I wish, you know, yeah, the financial literacy didn't come until much later. In life, though, I, I mean, I remember being told, like, you have this account, like, but you, but when I started managing it, it wasn't, like, this bigger thing around, let's talk about, you know, um, investments, and those, because they were, I don't think they had that literacy in the, in the same way, like, they played by the rules that they understood, and they didn't necessarily veer from that, um, and, you know, by the time my, my, um, my mom passed away. She was on a, you know, a very fixed income. I was managing her, her finances. Um, and I had to, and I, you know, when that transition happened where she like just couldn't take, couldn't properly do it, I had to like go in there and I was like, what is happening? And like to see what was happening. I was like, oh, okay. So then, it, then, you know, for a long time I, I worked on I try, what I tried to do in that was, like, what what would I have wanted when I was younger if somebody was paying attention to how I was spending my money? Like, I don't want to just do it and have you forget it. Like, I want you to see what I'm doing, and I want you to understand how much money you have that's in discretionary funds and what you have for your, your you know, food budgets and these things and how you can't not pay your bills. You can't not do that. So I'm going to pay your bills, but we're going to do it in a way that makes sense based off of the income that the monthly income that you have. And I'm going to make sure you always have, you know, your, your, your mortgage is always paid. Your maintenance is always paid because they had a a co-op and all the other bills, like all that gets paid first. So you always have security. Then we'll talk about how much money is left. And if I, if you need supplement, I'll make it happen, but you'll still stay on a budget that is, you will become accustomed to <laughs> because this is within your means which is something that I need to work on for myself to be honest with you but uh I definitely have a different like setup so but but based off of that that's really you know I'm almost 50 and I I I'm still like not where I want to be financially but I know I have much more tools to to get towards them um and I just I just think it's really interesting there was a moment in my life where I was like I'm making more than Like there was a moment when I became like a manager or something. I was like, I'm making more money than my mom did when she retired. And then there was another moment where I was like, I'm making more money than my dad did when he retired.
2: No. And it's, yeah, because, and I, you know, and like I said, like just relatively recently in my adult life, am I like, you know, having to, uh, I graduated, not even knowing what a decent salary is, Mm. you know, like truly. And Because my parents were both self-employed, right? Like that was not, it wasn't a job that they went to that, you know, we would talk about this is what I make every year. Every year was different, (laughs) depended on the climate that year. And so I didn't know any of that. And and now I'm learning and I had that same moment of like, oh, I'm making more. I made more this year than, you know, some years my parents, one of my parents made, you know, and that's weird. There's a weird moment of like, oh, and at the same time, part of me wishes I could put like those, that bi- blindfold back on <laughs> of I'm not making decisions for money because I think, I don't know, I think that's how we get stuck.
0: Yeah, I hear what you're saying because I have said that. Like, I remember um, in 2008 was the, I mean, I think this is when it happened. Like, it was right around, but like, so my dad saw, like, my dad campaigned for Obama, saw him. Uh, get elected and then was gone a month later so he didn't see him inaugurated um but it was a bit that was a big thing but I remember the housing crisis was happening all at the same time and um so like you know it was it was really really challenging for a host of reasons right and that also made it really challenging to deal with his real estate anyway we used to have apprentices that would work you know from college and so all these young people who were about to graduate I guess in 2009, they were about to graduate and they, they were living in such immense fear. And I would give these like very lofty pieces of advice, be like, stick with what your passion is. It, the money will come. Like you can figure out how to hustle. That's what yeah. you got to do. You just got to figure out like, but that's not the, like, don't do, don't make choices for the money, make choices that will make you, will bring you joy, make choices that will bring you, that you are passionate about. And you'll figure out how to make money doing that the more you lean into or give into that fear, the less and less happy you're going to be. That doesn't mean that you don't have to do what you got to do. But like what, so that, but that, you know, that's coming from somebody who had a full-time job and, you know, like, so I had to be, you know, understand that my advice was coming from a place. I'm learning that
2: there's a lot of, I think that was part of my learning too, that there's a lot of privilege in that. Yes. That, uh, that, that ability to see what, and, and look, I didn't come from the most privileged, but I also didn't come from the least, yes. you know? So it's like, I'm trying to figure out where I sit in that. While also I deeply believe that our way as a, as humans, as a world, as a society out of where we're at right now has to be towards following passions and dreams and figuring out how to make money along the way. But, you know, so it's like how it's both, it's both. And I, but there are also realities where that's just not true
0: thank you for listening to episode 61 act one of teaching artistry with courtney j body caitlin mccain finding paths for freedom dreaming join us next time for act two this podcast is edited and produced by Ben Weber. Christopher Totten is the director of creative content. Jonna Waldman wrote and performed the theme song. Tim Palin designed the logo. Visit us at www.teachingartistry.org and head to the pod shop at the top of the page for merch. Find us on Instagram at Teaching Artistry Podcast, and now on YouTube. Check out the Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body channel and watch We Can't Go Back. Like our page on Facebook, listen to us on SoundCloud and Spotify, subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to share this podcast
1: with all the teaching artists in your life. Let's start it up now, let's start it up now, let's start it up now,